Chapter Four of Northwest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Northwest by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Four. Kelshope Ranch. Breakfast was over at Kelshope Ranch, and Jimmy occupied a log at the edge of the clearing. Although his muscles were sore, he felt strangely fresh and somehow satisfied. At the hotel, as a rule, he had not felt like that. His leg hurt, but his host had doctored the cut with some American liniment, and Jimmy was content to rest in the shade and look about. He thought he saw the whole process of clearing a ranch. In the background was virgin forest pine, spruce, and hemlock, locking their dark branches. Then one noted the slashing, where chopped trees had fallen in tangled rows, and an inner belt of ashes and blackened stumps. Other stumps, surrounded by fern, checkered the oblong of cultivated soil, and the dew sparkled on the short oat stubble. The oats were not grown for milling, the heads were small, and Jardine cut the crop for hay. The garden lot and house occupied a gentle slope. The walls were built of logs, notched and crossed at the corners. Cedar shingles, split by hand on the spot, covered the roof. Behind the house one saw fruit trees and log barns. Nothing was factory-made, and Jimmy thought all indicated strenuous labor. A yard or two off, Jardine rubbed his double-bitted axe with a small round hone. He wore a gray shirt, overalls, and long boots, and his skin was very brown. He was not a big man, but he looked hard and muscular, and his glance was keen. "'You need to get the edge good. It pays to keep her sharp,' he said, and tried the blade with his thumb. "'I expect that is so,' Jimmy agreed. "'Did you yourself clear the ranch?' "'I chopped every tree, burned the slashing, and put up the house and barns. "'No, I'm getting things in trim and run a small bunch of stock.' Jimmy thought it a tremendous undertaking. The logs stacked ready to burn were two or three feet across the butt. "'How long were you occupied?' he asked. Twelve years,' said Jardine, rather dryly. "'When the country done, the Fraser began to open up. I sold my other ranch, bought two or three building lots in a new town, and started for the bush. I liked this location, and I stopped.' "'But can you get your stuff to a market?' "'Cows can walk, but when you clear a bush ranch, you don't bother much about selling truck.' You sit tight until the government cuts a wagon trail, or maybe a railroad's built and the settlements spring up. And then you expect to sell for a good price all the stuff you grow? Jardine smiled. Then I expect to sell the ranch and push on again. The old-time bushman has no use for game wardens, city sports, storekeepers, and real estate boomers. He stopped, and his look got scornful. Jimmy found out afterwards that the pioneer hates the business man, 
and Jardine sprang from Scottish border stock. Perhaps he had inherited his pride and independence from salmon-poaching ancestors. What he wanted, he labored for. To traffic was not his plan. "'Well,' he resumed, "'I'd better get busy. After dinner I'll drive you to the hotel.' He went off, and although Jimmy had expected to lunch at the hotel, he was satisfied to wait. He mused about his host. Jardine was not young, but he carried himself well, and Jimmy had known young men who did not move like him. Then the ranch indicated his talent for labor. Yet muscular strength was obviously not all one needed. To front and remove daunting obstacles, one must have pluck and imagination. The job was a man's job, but in a sense, the qualities it demanded were primitive, and Jimmy began to see why the ranch attracted him. His grandfather had labored in another's mill. The house of Leyland's was founded on stubborn effort and stern frugality. Jimmy began to wonder where Jardine fed his cattle, because he saw none in the clearing, but by and by a distant clash of bells rolled across the trees. Jimmy had heard the noise before. When he went to sleep and again at daybreak, a faint elusive chime had broken the quietness that brooded over Kelshope Ranch. It was the clash of cowbells, ringing as the stock pushed through the underbush. When he heard a sharper note, he got up, and, for his leg hurt, went cautiously into the woods. By and by he stopped in the tall fern. Not far off, Margaret, holding out a bunch of corn, occupied the middle of an opening in which little red wineberries grew. Her pose was graceful. She did not wear a hat, and the sun was on her hair. Her neck was very white, and then her skin was delicate pink that deepened to brown. Her dress was dull blue, and the yellow corn forced up the soft color. "'Oh, Bright! Oh, Buck!' she called, and Jimmy thought her voice musical, like the chiming bells. Where the sunbeams pierced the shade, long horns gleamed, the bells rang louder, and a big brown ox looked out, fixed its quiet eyes on the girl, and vanished noiselessly. Margaret did not move at all. She was still as the trees in the background, and Jimmy approved her quietness. He got a hint of balance, strength, and calm. "'Oh, Bright!' she called, and a brawny red-and-white animal pushed out from the fern, shook its massive head, and advanced to smell the corn. Jimmy now saw Margaret carried a rope in her other hand, but she let the ox eat the corn and stroked its white forehead before she threw the rope round its horns. Although she was very quick, her movements were gentle and the animal stood still. Then she looked up and smiled. "'You can come out, Mr. Leyland.' "'You knew I was in the fern?' "'Sure.' said Margaret. I was born in the woods. All the same, you were quiet. I reckon you can be quiet. In the bush, that's something. 
You imply that I was quiet for a tenderfoot? Why, yes, Margaret agreed, smiling. As a rule, a man from the cities can't keep still. He must talk and move about. You didn't feel you ought to come and help? Jimmy wondered whether she knew he had wanted to study her, but thought she did not. Anyhow, he was satisfied she, so to speak, had not posed for him. "'Not at all,' he said. "'I saw you knew your job, and I reflected that the ox did not know me. But shall I hold him until you catch the other?' "'Buck will follow his mate,' Margaret replied. And when they started, a cowbell clashed and Buck stole out of the shade. Jimmy thought stole the proper word. He had expected to hear branches crack and underbrush rustle, but the powerful oxen moved almost silently through the wood. "'Now I see why you give them bells,' he remarked. "'But doesn't the jangling bother the animals?' "'They like the bells. At night I think they toss their heads to hear the chime.' then they know the bells are useful. Sometimes, when all is quiet, the cattle scatter, but when the timber wolves are about or a cinnamon bear comes down the rocks, the herd rolls up. Bush cattle are clever. Now Bright feels the rope. He's resigned to go to work. You know the woods. Have you always lived at a ranch? For a time I was at Toronto, Margaret replied. When I was needed at Kelshope, I came back. Jimmy felt she baffled him. Margaret had not stated her occupation at Toronto, but he had remarked that her English was better than the English one used at the cotton mills. After all, he was not entitled to satisfy his curiosity. "'One can understand Mr. Jardine's needing you,' he said. "'I expect a bush rancher is forced to hustle.' "'A bush rancher must hustle all the time,' Margaret agreed. "'Still, work one likes goes easily. Have you tried?' "'I have tried work I did not like and admit I've had enough,' Jimmy said, and laughed. "'When I started for Canada,' My notion was I'd be content to play about. Margaret nodded. We know your sort. You are not, like our tourists, merchants and manufacturers. You have no use for business. All you think about is sport, and your sport's extravagant. You stop at our big hotels, and when you go off to hunt and fish, you hire a gang of packers to carry your camp truck. I doubt if I really am that sort, Jimmy rejoined. After all, my people are pretty keen businessmen, and I begin to see that to cultivate the habits of the other lot is harder than I thought. In fact, I rather think I'd like to own a ranch. For a game? said Margaret, and laughed, a frank laugh. You must cut it out, Mr. Leyland. One can't play at ranching. And you don't know all the Bushman is up against. It's possible, Jimmy admitted. Well, I expect I am a loafer, 
but I did not altogether joke about the ranch. The strange thing is, after a time, loafing gets monotonous. Margaret stopped him. I must get busy, and you ought not to walk about. Sit down in the shade, and I'll give you the colonist. Jimmy sat down, but declared he did not want the newspaper. He thought he would study ranching, particularly Margaret's part of the job. She put a heavy wooden yoke in the oxen's necks, fastened a rope to the hook, and drove the animals to a belt of burned slashing where the big charred logs lay about. Jardine hitched the rope to a log, and the team hauled it slowly to a pile. Jimmy wondered how two people would get the heavy trunk on top, but when Margaret led the oxen round the pile and urged them ahead, the log went up in a loop of the rope. For all that, Jardine was forced to use a handspike, and Jimmy saw that to build a log pile demanded strength and skill. Resting in the shade, he felt the picture's quiet charm. The oxen's movements were slow and rhythmical. Jardine's muscular figure, bent, got tense and relaxed. The girl, finely posed, guided the plodding animals. Behind were stiff, dark branches and rows of straight red trunks. A woodpecker tapped a hollow tree, and in the distance cowbells chimed. The dominant note was effort, but the effort was smooth and measured. One felt that all went as it ought to go, and Jimmy thought about the big shining flywheel that spun with a steady throb at the Leyland cotton mill. Then his head began to nod and his eyes shut, and when he looked up Margaret called him to dinner. After dinner Jardine got out his cloverleaf wagon and drove Jimmy to the hotel. When they arrived, Jimmy took him to his room on the first floor, and meeting Stannard on the stairs, was rather moved to note his relief. Stannard declared that he and some others had searched the woods since daybreak and were about to start for the ranch. By and by, Deering joined them and made an iced drink. Jardine, with tranquil enjoyment, drained his long glass and, lighting a cigar, began to talk about hunting in the bush. His clothes were old and his hat was battered, but his calm was marked and Jimmy thought he studied the others with quiet curiosity. After a time they went off, and Jardine gave Jimmy a thoughtful smile. "'Your friends are polite, and Mr. Deering can mix a drink better than a barkeep.' "'Is that all?' Jimmy inquired. Jardine's eyes twinkled. "'Well, if I was wanting somebody to see me out, maybe I'd trust the big fellow.' Jimmy thought his remarks strange. Stannard was a cultivated gentleman, and Deering was, frankly, a gambler. Yet Jimmy had grounds to imagine the old rancher was not a fool. He was puzzled and rather annoyed, but Jardine said he must not stay, and Jimmy let him go. End of chapter 4 Recording by Roger Moline